Welcome to Inside New Mexico. I'm Derek Underhill, and I am talking with our chairman of the Republican Party of New Mexico, former congressman of the 2nd Congressional District, Steve Pierce. Steve, you still doing okay in Hobbs? We're doing well in Hobbs, sequestering in place, social distancing. Uh, we occasionally get uh, grandkids over, and uh, it's uh, just awkward not being able to hug them like we normally do. But everybody's surviving just uh, really well. I was reading an article just recently, and, and I had not taken much of a look at the medical aspect. But this article is saying that the corona virus, the corona-type virus, has been around forever. That is not that unusual, and that uh, people just regularly come into contact with it. And so this COVID-19 is, is the actual form that it's taking now. But one of the things they said is that uh, right now, if anyone has exposure to the corona, that it stays in the system maybe forever, even though you've overcome it and you're just totally healthy, that when you die, then they do some check and an autopsy and they see these coronas there. Then they declare that you're corona infected, which may be true, but it also might be misleading. So a lot of questions coming out now about the measurement and, and the drastic measures that we're taking from our economic point of view. So you even here, the governor of New York, Governor Como, who is, is asking that too, how much economic devastation can we take? And of course, if it's months, then a lot of business are not going to, to be able to reopen. So a very difficult time for the country, but also a very difficult time for the free market, for capitalism, for hope and opportunity. All those things are, are sort of hanging in the balance here. I'm still waiting to find out how many people have had the virus, have recovered, and are no longer susceptible to it or transmit it, and why can't they go back to work? That's a fair point. Now, one thing that I know that you had mentioned in a previous segment was that political correctness seems to be going out the window during this time that other than people complaining when you call it a, a China virus, they don't want that. The left doesn't want that association. But other than that, Political correctness seems to have dissipated dramatically during this crisis. That yeah, well, we're when in. your life depends on it, all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute, we need those plastic bags. So Albuquerque and Bernalillo County lifted their plastic bag ban because those cloth bags could, guess what, carry the virus. They could carry it and store it for a long period of time, and here you are slinging it around and groceries being thrown into it, and then you're consuming the groceries. And so all in all, then we find one more way that the left has pushed us into things that we don't need to be involved in. Matt Agarist is a journalist that I read sometimes. He published an article in the Sons of Liberty media but he's talking about even the red light cameras, which he declares to be an intrusion into our freedoms and even points out in the article that New Miami, Ohio had to actually refund about $3 million. Every penny that it had collected from these red light cameras had to refund it because the judge said it's an intrusion that there is no due process. People don't have the right or the ability to, to make a different case 
and so his article was talking about one of the great benefits of of this social distancing and less driving is number one there's less air pollution there are fewer crashes the congestion in our towns is down but also that Redflex the company that has many of these red light cameras around the world has over a hundred of them in in the U.S. and Canadian uh, cities it's an Australian company and so they're now complaining that because people are driving less they have less speeding tickets and the revenue are falling they're going to be able to install fewer systems because of that now what i didn't know that karen finley the previous ceo was sent to prison uh, guilty of bribing politicians to install these cameras but communities around the country after 10 years of merging towards more cameras now are getting out of the camera business because it was always a private company that was collecting the fines and then sending money over to the, the county or the state but keeping their share of it. So again, this, this idea that uh, there are a couple of bright spots in the way that our lives are changing right now. It's funny too, when they first started installing those in New Mexico, they... Uh didn't realize, I guess, that we don't have front license plates. So they had a redesign to uh, take a picture of the back of the car. <laughs> For the citizens of Rio Rancho, they had enough of it, and uh, the city council voted out the red light cameras. So they don't exist. I, Albuquerque may still have them. I'm not sure. But uh, some cities do. But again, you're right. There's no due process. There's issues of proving who was driving the car at the time that it went through a red light. So those were some of the issues Rio Rancho looked at when they decided not to renew the red light camera contract. One other thing that I want to talk about here in this segment before we get two of our guests, we've got two guests on today, Larry Scott, legislator, he's a House of Representatives member from Lee County, and then also Carter Harrison, the attorney in our suit to stop the vote by mail system. But there's an interesting article in Breitbart this week that comes out from Aaron Klein, and he's talking about the George Soros groups are pushing a Democrat scheme for mail-in voting. Now, George Soros, as you know, is one of the most disruptive people in the world. He has personally helped collapse at least six different economies. He always sells short on the currency, which means that if a country's currency fails, then he will get super rich off of it. And that's how he made many of his billions of dollars. And he is involved in things that are disruptive around the world. But he is the main source of funds. His Open Society Foundation is the main source of funds for the Brennan Center for Justice that's located at the New York School of Law. And they're the ones who are bringing much of the litigation to try to get this vote by mail system. So number one, you know if Soros is involved in it, that it is not positive, that it is not good for freedom, it is not good for liberty. But then the other side of it is that it's going to deeply favor the Democrats because they're the ones who will go door to door. You, you remember the problems with ACORN. They were so well documented that ACORN had to change its name. In New Mexico, you have Olay who does a lot of the things that ACORN did. And basically, they will go out and canvas and pick up ballots from people. There is currently an action by the FBI taking a look at a complaint by members of Olay who were saying that they were trading cigarettes for blank mail-in ballots. And so 
this push by Soros to get nationwide vote by mail system is one that is, is going to be very damaging to our republic, damaging to our freedoms. And yet we've got people in New Mexico and the Democrat Party who are filing this action and saying that they want to go ahead with it. So we will see where it goes, but understand that vote by mail system, which we're going to visit later in the show with Carter Harrison about, uh, is going to be destructive in the long term to our or the very basis of the republic, and that is a free and fair election. So great being on the show with you today, Derek. I'm excited about our guest. Stay tuned, and we'll have Representative Larry Scott from Lee County up next. On behalf of the New Mexico Department of Health, take COVID-19 precautions. Wash your hands frequently for 20 seconds. Don't touch your face. Use a tissue or your elbow to catch your sneeze or cough. Avoid large gatherings and close contact with sick people, especially if you are elderly or high risk. If you have a cough, fever, or shortness of breath, stay home from work or school. Do not go to the ER or doctor's office without first calling the coronavirus hotline. And avoid all unnecessary out-of-state travel. Help prevent the spread of COVID-19. Welcome back to Inside New Mexico, and I'm talking with our chairman of the Republican Party, Steve Pierce. And as promised, Steve, we have a guest on the phone. We do. Representative Larry Scott from Hobbs, uh, representing Lee County in the state legislature. He's with us today, a longtime friend. I've known him from the oil and gas industry, but uh, just known him from around town. Representative, thanks for being on with us today. Tell us a little bit about your background. Tell us where you were born and raised, and then a little bit about your business before going to the legislature. Well, gents, I was uh, trained transplanted from South Louisiana to Southern New Mexico some 40 years ago with a major oil company as a part of their engineering group and uh, left that same major company two years into my uh, service here in New Mexico to start my own company, uh, which for the last 40 years has been producing oil and gas, an independent producer in Lee Eddy, Gaines, uh, Andrews, and Winkler County, exclusively in southeast New Mexico and the West Texas Permian Basin. Well, that uh, is interesting. If you don't mind uh, saying, which major company did you move to New Mexico with? At the time, it was the Continental Oil Company, now ConocoPhillips. Conoco Phillips Continental Oil Company. Uh, boy, those uh, ring a bell for a lot of us. Tell us what you would do if you could change things in New Mexico so that 20 years from now, things would be better for your kids and grandkids. Steve, my concern in my six years in the legislature is that we're not as business friendly to entrepreneurial companies, to companies that are wanting to move into the state or expand as we could be. It's partially a consequence of tax policy. It's partially, I think, a consequence of the regulatory environment, which is in our state more difficult to navigate than it is in many others. And it's a consequence of the attitude. It's different, I I think. In the southeast part of the state, where oil and gas predominates, there are startup companies There's a lot of entrepreneurial spirit that I don't really see that vision and that drive nearly as much along the Rio Grande corridor. Why that is, I don't know, but I think it's partially a consequence of our public policy. We need more job creators in this state. That's the only thing that will pull 
our population out of the cycle of poverty that we've been in for so many years. Go ahead and confirm with us which committees you're on and what your major interests are as you go into the session each year. Into the session on uh, since my election, I've served on the Taxation and Revenue and the Energy, Minerals, and Natural Resources Standing Committees such that I get a look at the tax policy proposals that come through each session, as well as all of the energy issues that come before the legislature in each session. I believe that I was tapped on the shoulder to run for this position, particularly for my expertise in the oil and gas industry. My predecessor in this spot was Don Bratton a very long-serving, very well-respected state representative who had significant oil and gas experience. When he decided to retire, the folks in our community felt like the state desperately needed some representation in Santa Fe with some familiarity with the industry that provides 40% of the state budget and tapped me on the shoulder and asked me to serve to provide some of that expertise. And there are very, very few legislators in Santa Fe that have any understanding of the petroleum industry in spite of how important it is to the state. That point would be accentuated by my wife's experience. She served on a couple of statewide boards when I was in the state legislature. And at one meeting, one legislator was just asking a question. If they don't make money, why do companies drill dry holes? And and (laughs) then the next thing people would say that we couldn't drill here because we have difficulty when we drill here because there's not a pipeline. And now then you got to truck your oil to market or whatever. And again, the second question was, why don't you just drill closer to the pipeline. And that kind of lack of understanding of the basics of an industry, like you said, that provides about 40% of our state's revenue is unthinkable. But it's one reason that you get legislation each year saying, let's shut down the fracking. What effect would that have on our state budget if the ban on fracking were to pass? The only word that comes to mind is devastating, because with the current reservoirs that are being developed, the production is completely dependent on both horizontal technology and the ability to fracture stimulate these now reservoirs that used to not be considered reservoirs because of their very low permeability. The only thing that's keeping southeast New Mexico alive and thereby the state alive is fracture stimulation. I don't think that serious minds in Santa Fe ever believed there was a chance that any of those proposals would come to pass. But it does send a very poor message to the industry about how the political power in the state feels uh, with respect to the industry. And I strongly disagreed with that ban fracking proposal, but never really felt like it had a chance to make it out of the Senate or the House to get to the governor's desk for signature. Well, you made uh, one point that I want to accentuate, and that is that even though it might not pass, it sends a very loud and clear message to the companies. And before the dust up here between Saudi Arabia and Russia drove the price down into the 20s, companies still were looking at, at investing two or $300 billion here if you took a look across the spectrum. And that's a huge investment to kind of have nagging in the back of your mind that maybe the governor would 
do something to shut it off. Maybe the land commissioner, uh, just maybe these harebrained schemes would work. And so it causes people who are investing in the state to kind of wonder about it and maybe choose to invest in Texas, which much of the production that we're making here in uh, Leonetti counties, they can slide right across the border and hit many of those same reservoirs. So now I'm hearing a lot of Democrat legislators who are really worried about the price of oil. That seems counterintuitive since many times during the session, they are so anti-oil and gas. So tell me if I'm correct on that, or maybe behind the scenes, they're not as exactly anti-oil and gas as they seem in the press. Steve, I think that the adults in the room recognize that the state is in terrible shape, absent the development of our fossil fuel resources. I have heard very smart people in presentations tell me that under the right economic conditions, every square foot of southeast New Mexico is a potential reservoir. So we're not measuring uh, these petroleum reservoirs in acres anymore. We're measuring them in townships. That resource is just a magnificent opportunity to generate funds that would move this state forward, diversify the revenue streams under the appropriate public policy. What I don't see is that appropriate public policy developing, which will leave us dependent on this commodity resource, which, if history is any guide, has been very, very volatile. Representative Larry Scott, we've enjoyed visiting with you today. So keep up the great work, and we hope to talk to you again downstream. But uh, thanks again for being on the program today. Larry Scott from Lee County. Thanks for having me, Steve. We'll return in just a moment with another guest on Inside New Mexico. Attention, New Mexico veterans. If you were honorably discharged from the U.S. Armed Forces, you've earned state and federal benefits, and the New Mexico Department of Veteran Services is standing by to assist you. State benefits include a veteran's property tax exemption, education and training, and transportation services. We can also assist with claims for federal VA benefits. The state of New Mexico and this radio station thank you for your service. More information at nmveterans.org or 1-866-433-8387. Welcome back to Inside New Mexico, and I am talking with our chairman of the Republican Party, Steve Pierce. We have another guest on the phone. We do. Carter Harrison is calling in today. I have become close friends with Carter. Anytime that you're in the foxhole or in the battle trenches with somebody in this political battle that goes on every day for the heart and soul of America is definitely that. And when you're next door and you're standing beside somebody in these fights, you either get closer or more distant in a very big hurry. So uh, first, got to know Mr. Harrison as he brought suit on our behalf against Secretary of State. There were three times that our gubernatorial campaign had to sue the Secretary of State because she was not abiding by the law. And each time, Carter made arguments in the court where we won those cases. And so when I became chair of the Republican Party of New Mexico, then we tapped Carter to be our legal counsel for the party. And he's been very active. But the most active thing that we're on right now is something is happening nationwide, and that is the attempt to implement vote-by-mail, VBM. So, uh, Carter, thanks for being on the program today, and tell us a little bit about the legal ramifications of what we're doing and how we're going about it from just your average layman's point of view. Sure thing. So, um, in New Mexico, we have 
obviously in-person voting, both early before Election Day and then on Election Day. And then we augment that process, as is almost every other state that I'm aware of, with absentee voting. So if you want to vote from home or if you're out of the state or out of the county on Election Day or otherwise in-person voting is not going to be convenient, you fill out a quick application, just put your name, your address, and your year of birth, and they'll send you an absentee ballot, which you fill out and you put back in the mail, and, and that's how you'll vote. The covid situation, which was expected to extend quite possibly into when the primary set on June 2nd of this year. Of course, we're promoting absentee ballots to, to try and keep as many people also away from you know, being outdoors, clustering in areas. The Democrats and the, the governor and the secretary of state have basically agreed with us on this concept that, that the way to do this is to promote absentee voting. There is a separate process known as vote by mail, which the Democrats are very hot on nationwide. It's a preferred policy prescription of Democrats nationally, generally unrelated to COVID. And a few of them are trying to use the opportunity of the virus basically to implement this without legislative action here in New Mexico. So vote by mail is similar to absentee voting, except that it'll be automatic. So you don't have to fill out an application. They just send everyone on the rolls what is effectively an absentee ballot. Now, the reason that's a problem is that we have, I don't want to say poorly maintained, but largely out-of-date voter rolls here in New Mexico. So I've used the one data point of Bernalillo County, obviously our largest county, where an election with 120-some-odd thousand votes, they had 58,000 ballots that they sent out and were returned as undeliverable by the post office. Additionally, there's every reason to believe that that problem will be more serious in Bernalillo and Doniana County this year, given that quite a few ballots go to the university, dorms, for example. And of course, students aren't living at their dorms right now. And I have to think probably a, a great number have not thought to update their registration addresses to places other than their dorm rooms and university residences. And it's not just Bernalillo County. We had an affidavit from the Lincoln County clerk. They've improved their roles from about a 30% rate of bad addresses to their most recent special election. They had 18% of the ballots they sent out to turn back as undeliverable. That's a large percentage. Uh, If you think about the the margin of modern elections, President Trump isn't going to win or lose by 18% of the vote. So this is a a large problem. It's exacerbated by the fact that really our absentee voting process, while we've got to promote it this year, I think, to enhance the social distancing aspect of the election currently, the Secretary of State does not verify any of the information. So you have the normal voter ID I've mentioned, name, address, year of birth. You can not put any of that on your absentee ballot. You can put wrong information. It'll still be voted so long as there's something on the signature line. And unlike, so for example, you might say, well, in Colorado, you use vote by mail for all their elections. Yes, they do. They have signature matching software that we don't have and apparently can't get because we lack exemplars, meaning good samples for everybody that we can match your votes against. So we don't have the roles. This first and foremost, the vote by mail problem is really not about voter fraud. It's about roles not being updated with current addresses for for really huge numbers, demonstrably huge numbers of people. And then it's exacerbated by the fact that we then further don't have, you know, if you do get two ballots in your mailbox from people who don't live at your apartment anymore, it's the honor system that you don't go and fill them out and mail them back in and they get counted as, as votes. So this is an opportunistic play by the Democrats to implement a, a policy that they have always favored and it's sort of a dream policy and that has been acknowledged by some of these same people to just not be feasible in New Mexico at this time, even if you support it as a theoretical matter. And I think more to the point is a little bit getting into the weeds of, of the law. The petitioner, so Daniel Ivy Soto and company, acknowledge that there's no basis in law currently to do this, and they ask that the, the Supreme Court just change the law unilaterally. You say, well, are they, are they really asking for that? Is that you characterizing the law? No, really. His argument is that if the legislature is the one who has the power to do this, change the law and, and make vote by mail an actual artifact of the law, 
So says Daniel Ivey Socha. The legislature can't meet because of COVID. Many of our legislators are advanced age. It's too risky. The Supreme Court needs to do it. Now, putting aside the fact that the Supreme Court itself is not populated by spring chickens, there are many ways that, of course, if the legislature needs to go and do this for the primary, you know, they could make it happen. The Supreme Court has asked for a briefing on this. But essentially what this is, is they're trying to implement a, a process, vote by mail, that they themselves have acknowledged New Mexico is not in suitable condition to implement as of yet. They do not have the political will to have even a Democrat-controlled legislature and Democrat governor sign into law. So they're asking the court to do it under the guise, under the pretext of the COVID emergency. One of the things I noted when uh, Senator Daniel Ivey Soto filed his writ is that the Secretary of State signed on with him. Now, that seemed very unusual to me. Is it? I mean, he's got to be petitioning that she should do it differently. If she can do it differently, well, she should just do it differently. So so am I the only one who felt like that was unusual? I have never seen it before. I, I, I don't know that it's ever happened. And, and here's, you're absolutely right. So they're asking the Supreme Court for something called a writ of mandamus. Typically, the way that works is a, a citizen or anybody files and asks the court for a writ of mandamus. Supreme Court, give me a writ of mandamus directing this office holder, this government official, to comply with the law. So say the Secretary of State is not complying with the law or wants to do something that violates the law, you go to the Supreme Court and have the Supreme Court issue a writ directing the office holder, the Secretary of State, to go and do the lawful thing. Now, what is the timeline? When is the court going to hear the case by the Democrats, and when is it going to hear the case that uh, the GOP has brought? Daniel Ivey Soto filed this past Monday. Within 24 hours, the GOP had filed its action. Just put it on the court's radar. They're asking for briefing from a number of stakeholders on the 8th, and those stakeholders are the Democratic Party, the governor, the legislature, the Libertarian Party, and I believe the League of Women Voters. And they will hear our oral argument on, I believe, the 14th. So by Supreme Court standards, that's a very fast timeline, and so this will be over quickly. Okay. Well, again, I want to tell our listeners that we've been talking to Carter Harrison. He is the attorney who has brought suit on behalf of the Republican Party to stop the VPM process and instead concentrate on mail-in absentee ballots. So thanks again for working on behalf of our freedoms and our liberties. Carter Harrison, attorney in New Mexico. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate it. I'd like to remind our listeners to stay engaged in what's happening at the Republican Party of New Mexico by going to www.gopnm.org. You can listen to previous editions of this program. The party also has a Facebook page and a Twitter account. The handle is at New Mexico GOP. The Republican Party of New Mexico is always looking for volunteers to help with their mission to win New Mexico for President Trump and to turn the roundhouse red. Call the Republican Party headquarters at 505-298-3662. That's 505-298-3662. I'm Derek Underhill for Steve Pierce. Thanks for listening. We look forward to meeting you here again next week on Inside New Mexico.